0: Trent Cotney and John Kinney are dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal business and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law & Mortar. Hey, I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Law & Mortar. This is Trent Cotney with Adams & Reese. And as always, I've got John Kinney, CEO of Cotney Consulting Group with me. John, how are you doing? Doing great. It's good to be here today. How are you doing? Doing great. It's Friday. Can't complain. Weather's a little bit down, but hey, looking forward to a good weekend here. So um, we had an interesting meeting here this this week. We went to the uh, West Coast Rookie Contractors Association monthly meeting. They had a lot of uh, manufacturers there doing some demonstrations. And it just got my wheels turning a little bit. You know, I was sitting in the back thinking about some different things. So, you know, one of the the topics was coatings. Obviously, there's a lot of great uses for coding, great maintenance capabilities, uh, helps you know uh, increase longevity of of what you're working with, all those types of things. But you know from a legal standpoint, oftentimes we get dragged in um, you know when they're when the coding is maybe oversold uh, or it's not performing as it was originally intended, uh, or there's a dispute between installer versus manufacturer. Uh, a lot of different legal issues there. So anytime I'm, I'm drafting a contract that relates to coatings, I'm always very careful to make sure that uh, there's some added terms in there about uh, you know thickness of application, about what it's intended to, use, to be uh, used for and what it's not intended to be used for. In other words, it's not going to you know replace everything down to the deck. It's merely a coating over existing system. So. Um, You know, what what is your experience? I know you put on quite a bunch of of coatings in your time and you've seen a lot of different things. What's your experience with uh, coatings use?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. I've had some chats with different people and organizations and, you know, what I've always liked to practice is really what's being pushed today as a general standard. It's not meant for everything, right? That's the key. And there's also different products out there. So as you, you know, you go to work on a restoration project or, you know, a lot of times even they're putting down some recovers with insulation and in different fabrics and coatings. Make sure you consult with your manufacturers, representatives, and their technical department. You got to make sure the existing roof is, you know, free of debris and it's clean and will adhere to the surface. And also you don't have any trap moisture. So again, it comes down to very common sense roofing. Coating is no different than any other type of roofing. If it is a very poor system that you're covering, then it probably should be tore off and replaced. So. Again, great products. Um, they had some, like uh, you said, some great demonstrations. There's a lot of reflectivity. There's a lot of advantages um, to coatings. It's more than just a paint, as people used to think of it, you know, a couple decades ago. So I just recommend you do the right thing as you should with all aspects of your roofing.
0: Yeah, you know, I've seen some absolutely incredible products and new stuff that's coming out. You know, everything from embedded mesh to all the liquid applied systems to a lot of different things that that we're seeing. That's coming out of the coating and coating related markets. So very interested to see what the future holds. I think they're going to continue to have uh, you know great product development in that area. Something else that was interesting was uh, slip resistant underlayment uh, that was demonstrated. And you know obviously from a safety perspective, one of the things that I have to deal with when I'm defending contractors uh, from OSHA citations. A lot of times it's a result of injury or falls caused by slips on underlayment. I mean, that stuff, you know this, John. I mean, that stuff is is really slippery. I, oftentimes, I think about, you know, replacing my son's slip and slide with with some underlayment. But, uh, you know, um, I know the industry is taking a look at it. They're trying to address it. But, you know, we saw some interesting product uh, demonstrations on that. What's been your experience with uh, with underlayment? I mean, obviously, you did a lot of low slope, but I know you did steep slope as well. So,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, once you get onto a sloped roof, um, it doesn't have to be that great of a pitch. Three, you know, even greater than two and a half, three on 12, you know, that you start to get up there. You get dew, you get frost, you just get normal weather conditions. And, and again, um, it's very, very slippery. I was impressed with, uh, with some of these product demos we saw because um, they really actually worked. They had slip resistance to them. Um, and even at the, when we were at the IRE um, this past, you know, uh, February, um, they were demonstrating some other products that have some fantastic slip resistance for their soles on shoes. They're not a joke anymore. They actually do work. And honestly, in my opinion, I, I think it's a great trend in the industry. And I think all underlayments should be slip resistant just for the simple fact you're preventing future issues, future problems, slips and falls.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's hope that the uh, industry trends in that direction. Um, one of the other topics that I want to talk about is, is, I guess, from a legal perspective, we've had a lot of calls here recently for corporate maintenance and corporate maintenance related issues. A lot of times, you know, the contractors that are out there listening to us, you know, you're focused on bringing in business, on sales, on operations, on doing the things that you need to in order to be successful. But a lot of times, you forget about crossing the t's and down the i's and part of that is making sure that you've got meeting minutes making sure that you've got a good operating agreement good bylaws good corporate documents good corporate governance and uh it, a lot of those things are like your will you don't think about it until it's too late so um when we get involved in corporate related disputes between let's say one partner and another partner or in the event that one company wants to sell to another company you got to make sure all that stuff's lined up. My advice is to make sure you take some time now and really get that stuff cleaned up, so that you're not having to rush around last minute trying to recreate meeting minutes or find, you know, an amendment to bylaws that happened ten years ago. So, um, John, what are you hearing from your clients on the on the business and the consulting side as it relates to that? I know, you know, you dig into a lot of the operational aspect, but uh, you probably see some of the same stuff I see.
1: Yeah, I mean, surprisingly enough, a lot, of, a lot of folks are not really quite sure what type of operation that they have on the business and how it was formed, especially if it was done, uh, you know, a few years prior um, and even a generational transformations in that. So, yeah, that's one of the things we like to look at is go in and, you know, make sure the structures are right. We don't get in, you know, in the consulting and we don't get into the tax issues and all that and the, the legalities that you would over on, on your law side. But it's still good to know how you're structured. It's still good to make sure you're filing all the proper forms. It's still good to make sure that you're in the right classification. Um, even in my book, when I when I put that out, the blueprints roofing, that's why I went through the different ones from sole proprietor all the way on up to the you know to the different levels of corporation and partnerships. You need to understand you know what the businesses are and how they work to make sure you're properly protected and you're in the right realm for what you're doing.
0: Yeah, and, and for those of you that hadn't picked up John's book, I really recommend you do it. Um it, it it went through that in very simple terms, you know, and and uh I thought it was refreshing to kind of kind of view in that light, you know, along those same lines from a corporate governance standpoint, I, I had a conversation um, you know, a week or so ago with a contractor that uh didn't understand the basics of of how taxes work with your company. And I'm not talking about you know intricate under you know something that a CPA would. I'm just talking about basics like payroll tax and how to pay yep. yourself properly, you know how to pay yourself salary versus distributions, how to work all that out. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, hey, I had the same problems, I always say every contractor or trade out there, you got to have a good lawyer, a good accountant, and a good insurance agent. So you know make sure that you are, you know, checking with a tax professional so that you're paying yourself correctly and doing everything that you need to. Uh, so that you're protected now john we've talked about a lot of things today but now is your favorite time it is question question. i
1: love it you never know what's coming out of that basket
0: yep yep so we're we're backed up a little bit had a slight hiatus there but we're we're back rolling again so this question john is from brian and brian has a question about fleet maintenance Uh, just kind of paraphrasing here, but he wants to know what your thoughts are on fleet maintenance. He's concerned about rising fuel costs. Uh, He's trying to defray some of those expenses. Uh, What's been your experience with fleet maintenance
1: and what would you recommend? Well absolutely, you want to make sure you do fleet maintenance and this is where it starts. It starts with that daily check of your truck. Um, Whoever's driving your company vehicle should be doing a daily inspection. Uh, Simple things, tire pressures. Not saying you got to physically check the tire pressure every single day, but you look and make sure nothing looks out once a week, make sure somebody is checking the tire pressure because right now being off just a simple on tire pressure could cost you two to three miles to the gallon on gas. And let's face it, you know, all over the country we're anywhere from four low fours up to near almost five and a half dollars a gallon and diesels are even higher. So I can understand that. I've talked to, um, some contractors out there that have almost uh, more than tripled their gas consumption on their fleet vehicles since this, that is, you know, you're, you're spending $10,000 a month and you're now spending thirty. That's a huge hit that you have not planned for. But other simple things, oil changes, just forget about, you know, the price of gas for a moment. You want to get the most out of your vehicles as you can. It costs more for that emergency repair. And don't only look at it as what it's going to cost you to put in a truck. My biggest problem when I was on that side is when we had an emergency repair we weren't ready for, If we didn't have a spare truck, you've now lost production. Either you've lost production on, you know, your operation side, putting a roof on, or if you have a service business, you can't take care of a customer. And trust me, these things happen at the most inopportune moments when you really need to be somewhere or produce. So again, I think you should, uh, Put a good maintenance plan in. It's not that hard to do, and I really believe you're going to save a lot more money in the long run when you when you weigh everything out at the very end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, get those SOPs in place so you are making sure to take into account any any issues with vehicles. Vehicle safety is incredibly important. You know, it's not worth uh, hurting one of your employees or having an insurance claim. Uh, so make sure you take all that. You know, just as a side note, one of the things that you might want to consider is placing your vehicles and equipment in a separate entity obviously discuss this with a tax professional but there may be some tax and liability benefits to that that you should consider um and with that john we are at the end of another episode of law and mortar as always if anybody has any questions for me you can reach out to me trent Cotney at uh at arlaw.com or go to adamsandreese.com john how can i get you
1: yeah, real easy, Kenny at cottonyconsulting.com or go to cottonconsulting.com on the World Wide Web and I'll be there.
0: All right, my friend. Well, we will see everybody next week for another episode of Law & Mortar. Thank you. See you all then.